0: hey everybody welcome to it never rains on this podcast i'm hithliday i'm the managing editor for addicted to quack it's a website joining me this week is one of the great atq writers adam holland how you doing
1: i'm doing well um hoop season has come to a close for uh, one of the oregon teams but the other is uh, at least for now still alive and kicking so
0: it's a pretty busy week in oregon sports uh you know even with the end of the men's basketball season um uh, you know, uh, baseball and softball rolls on. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to, to talk about them, uh, this week, but just as a quick recap, uh, baseball won their series, um, in pretty exciting fashion, uh, up in Pullman against Wazoo, um, uh, uh, real explosive bats, uh, in that series, uh, check out, um, the, the articles at ATQ, uh, recapping, uh, that series. Um, uh, and then softball uh, had a pretty exciting series. Uh, they dropped one to two against uh, Stanford when they were hosting. Stanford's the number seven team in the country, but Oregon um, took them to the wire, uh, uh, stole a game uh, in game number two, and were um, um, really close to taking the series. Uh, it was a pretty encouraging sign. Um, and then a bunch of other sports in action too, uh, golf, tennis, lacrosse, um, uh, uh, beach volleyball, um, uh, we're doing our, our best to cover everything that we can. Uh, but this week, all the attention has been on both the men and the women's teams, uh, basketball teams in the NIT, uh, the respective NIT tournaments. Uh, let's start off talking about the men. Um, they uh, uh, they they played three different games in the NIT uh, tournament. First, they took on uh, UC Irvine. Um, and uh, they've been playing without uh, a lot of their starters. Um, yeah. Uh, You know, the NIT sort of weird, you always sort of worry about motivation, you're sort of, you know, question like who exactly is in the tournament. Um, But, uh, you know, first game against uh, uh, Irvine, they looked fantastic. You know, uh, uh, Rivaldo Soros, who I've been sort of questioning as a starter all season long, uh, puts up, I think, a season high with 21 points. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nate Biddle looked really good. Uh, you know, uh-huh. basically playing as the starting center in 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 place of and Dante. Um, I you know I thought that uh Quincy Gary looked pretty good. Tyrone Williams, who's been an interesting uh guy, you know, uh, only playing a little bit off the bench, but I think he came into Oregon. I think is like the leading JC scorer. Um, he
1: was yeah.
0: Uh, you know, he sort of, you know, whenever we, I'd see him off the bench, I always thought like, this is an interesting guy. Like he would definitely flash and like, he was fun to watch, you know, against Irvine. Um, you know, uh, uh, Luke War uh, has been, um, uh, uh, starting uh, and in, in, in is interesting. And the other thing that's been really uh, uh, uh we'll, we'll talk about each of these games sort of individually, but just as a, you know, the thing that's sort of the through line for all of them has been the defense. Um, Oregon's defense in all three of these games has been incredible, limiting all three of these opponents to under thirty three percent shooting from the floor. Um, and that's without their starters. Um, uh, I you know like I. I've, I've really been impressed with the defense, and you know, like the 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 offense. You know, I well, frankly, the offense has been a a problem all season long, like just the ball not falling in the basket. Um, and with the starters out, like you sort of, you know, like yeah, you know, no duh, um, you you know, uh, uh, but like, let me ask you that, you know, did did that surprise you at all that the defensive performance was as good as it was?
1: Um not i mean it didn't shock me uh just because historically like i said altman has been able to get teams to kind of like buy in what he preaches by season's end and that's why you often see them playing their best ball in february or march and it just goes back to it it goes back to the defensive end if you if you look at a lot of these teams um even you know the if if they had uh offensive firepower which there's been a lot of these teams that have finished with, you know, similar kind of records to this team, or at least around that, that area that had much, much more offensive firepower than uh, this team had a whole lot more. Uh, You could even throw it back to 2015 uh, with uh, Joseph Young, you know, PAC 12 Mm -hmm. uh, player of the year. The guy was just like a walking bucket. And so, what it is 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 that they would turn it up on the defensive side of the ball, and that's what would make the biggest difference. That's what would make them have these late season. You mean over or- over the
0: course of the year, the thing that made them yeah. a deadly team at the end of the year? you know, the the Altman bringing it together. You don't want to play Oregon in February. Factor was the defensive crank exactly,
1: it up. exactly, and so it's. <laughs> It's interesting because you know i I, I listened uh, and and listened and re-listened to Dana's uh, post game interview in its entirety. He got a little uh, fiery, yeah, no he 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 had some fire, and uh it was interesting because he he really wasn't pulling away. he was they were you know just like what was the primary issue? He was like, the primary issue is we can't shoot, you know, and so it's yeah. like, yeah I do, think, listening I to do podcast, think that once like, again you saw a team starting to buy in more to, you know, what he preaches and that's why you saw that defensive intensity turn up and that's why you saw a team where it was like, oh, his streak of winning, you know, 20 games in a season is surely over this year because this team just doesn't look capable of it. They were still able to do it and they were still able to, you know, get to the the final 16 of the NIT based on defense alone. Now it comes down to, yeah, what we've what you and I've been talking about and what we've been covering all year the offensive woes and just you know like the, and particularly the shooting um because if you Yeah, if like, you're I don't think they, it's not even from- just
0: like Yeah, exactly like exactly it's just the shooting like it's not like I it's not like it looks like well let me ask you this it doesn't look to me like they're taking bad shots or they're jacking it up foolishly you know it doesn't look like they're failing to move the ball around it doesn't look like they're failing to assess the opponent's defensive strengths and weaknesses it doesn't look like it's a badly coached team like not like it looks like they're taking high percentage shots you know like it looks like intelligent basketball by talented players who are doing everything right and then they go to shoot the ball and it just doesn't go in the damn bucket and And, and and like, you know, I don't want to say like they're under a curse or anything like I don't like to invoke the, the supernatural. I think there are, you know, you know, real explanations. And honestly, it probably does come down, you know, to some mixture of like, you know, some of these guys are probably not the guys. And, you know, we'll just see how things go next year with sort of a different mixture of guys, maybe some guys growing up a little bit more and maybe taking practice a little more seriously. Um, yeah. and may you know, coaching probably needs to approach these guys and how you know their shooting stroke a little differently, but just like you know, it, it seemed very crystal clear all season long, and it's sort of galling that it never really changed. But like the ball's not going in the bucket, like the, you know. Yeah. No, that's
1: a hundred percent. And I, I, I was there for, you know, one of the most, uh, one of the more frustrating games for me to, to watch this season was one that I attended in person and that was against UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, it was a, it was a total, uh, you know, slugfest in the first half. It was just two teams going right at each other. And I was like, all right, you know what I mean? We're just going, we're going toe to toe with UCLA. They're a, you know, top tier program. It was an enjoyable game.
0: I really enjoyed watching that game. I know the game that you're talking about too.
1: Yeah. And then, like, literally, all that happened in the second half was that UCLA would get good shots and good looks, and they would go in the basket. Oregon would get these same open looks, and they would just miss. And it it, it just was... It it came down to the point where, as the season went on, you just kind of expected that. If, if you saw them wide open in, in the corner or on the wing for a three or something like that, you didn't even expect it to go in. You're just like, well, that'll be a miss. And so it... like. Yeah, it, it's, yeah it, you it's, were at the it's, game. It's I, I was I was monitoring
0: the game thread and like, <laughs> yeah. there was like multiple people who were, you know, making the comments, sort of the same comment came up a couple times in the game thread, just like they were observing the UCLA players just like, boy, it must be nice to have a guy who just like, you were confident when he released the ball from his hand that it was going in the basket. Hell yeah,
1: You know, yeah. it's just
0: like, yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> you know? And
1: over and over, you know what I mean? And over the years, we often had guys like that, Peyton Pritchard, Dylan Brooks, Aaron brooks you know you go back to the luke's you know guys that just when they put it up you're like oh that's good Uh, i just like i definitely feel like we've been lacking that kind of player especially after duarte left
0: you know and i I am not sure you know honestly i i don't know what goes into into the you know the, the specifically you know how you coach a basketball player to shoot the ball. Like I'm fairly certain I understand what goes into coaching a a basketball team to install an offense and like different kinds of uh, different, you know, offensive coaching structures or, you know, installing offensive and defensive structures. I'm fairly sure I understand how coaching works in terms of like player substitution and, you know, trying to figure out like chemistry, you know, with like, you know, different player combinations. Like I'm fairly sure I understand like, you know, the strategic level, of coaching of uh, basketball, but I don't understand the tactical level of coaching a basketball. Like you know how you talk a kid into doing things like picking up his knees and getting back <laughs> on defense, and yeah. you know how how you perfect his stroke. Like I definitely don't know how you teach a kid how to shoot uh, free throws. It seems like it should be easy. Like you know uh, ju- you know jumping ahead to the Wisconsin game, a game which they only lost by a couple of points, and the margin of victory was. was Oregon's terrible free throw shooting. You know, you hate to put your finger on a single thing, but like they shot what four for 12, four for 13 from the free throw line.
1: Third 33%, which is in in a game in which
0: they, you know, they lost by you know, fewer than eight points. Um, And it's like, you know, in my rec league, I I shoot 92% from the free throw line because, you know, I've shot a hundred thousand free throws in my life. Like, yeah, you know, like I, I shoot better than the Oregon basketball team no, no, they, I mean, they, so they so sent to the MPT, you know, like, like
1: in the same comments, I'd be like, Oh, Hey, put, put me on scholarship for free at UO and give me a chance to play in the pros Yeah, I like, I, I'm very down.
0: confident that like, I could take a foul from the Badgers and go shoot free throws. <laughs> you know, Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the same basket. And, but I mean, that's the thing about the free throw line is like, it's the, everyone on the planet. Shoots the same distance from the same bucket with no one in their face you know, with the same ball, the same level of inflation, the same size rim at the same distance, the same, you know, like everything is the same. That's the thing about the free throw. It's totally controlled environment. You should make a hundred percent of your free throws. I'm embarrassed at the 8% that I miss. Like, you know, like, and if you're not, and if you're only making 33%, like, what are you doing, buddy? Uh, yeah. uh you know, uh, I don't know how you teach a kid to make free throws you know uh, uh i don't i just don't like my method is to go to the gym and i shoot you know that's the last thing that i do before i leave is i shoot 20 free throws like okay you know i'm i i how i it can't possibly be that simple dana you know <laughs> like
1: yeah no there's there's got to be something more to it at this point um, I, I mean uh, i don't
0: yeah but, you know, it's just, it's, that's way too easy. It's just way too easy to, 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 to just say like, well, Dana, I've got the cure for you. You know, like you got to yeah, no,
1: shoot a bunch of free throws. Like, never as simple as it seems.
0: And there's, all, all, there's always a God hates the Ducks factor, you know, like they put up a graphic where like, you know, Wisconsin is a 62% free throw shooting team during the regular mm-hmm. season. And what do they shoot, you know, against the Ducks? 92.3%. The only team in history to, to outshoot me uh, is Wisconsin against Oregon, right? Because God hates the Ducks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So.
1: Well, I mean, historically, yes, we've had trouble with Wisconsin in postseason play.
0: Uh, well in (laughs) basketball anyway, but anyway, uh, but, um, you know, I, I, but look, you know, it's just, it's as much as there is a through line in, in excellent defensive performance on all three of these games in offensive performance, you know, it's, you know, Oregon's, you know, shoots 40% from the floor against Irvine. Uh, they shoot. uh 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 uh, you know 48.9 that's that's uh, okay against UCF you know they they ran UCF off the floor but like you know because but it was because of great uh defensive performance because UCF's you know shooting was absolutely terrible um and then you know Wisconsin uh you know, they shoot 43%, you know, and they can't make a three pointer to save their lives. You know, like they're it's, it's just not, you know, a particularly effective, it's just not a particularly effective shooting team. And, and without the starters, you know, I, I, don't know, like the, the Will Richardson over era is now officially over. Like he's completely out of eligibility. It's unfortunate that his season ended on an injury. Um, yeah. But like, You know, okay, so Keyshawn Barthelemy against UCF, you know, plays 34 minutes and he shoots two for 12, you know, and and gets six points. And like, that's Oregon's only ball handler in that game, you know, and that's in a game where they run UC Irvine off the floor because the defense is so good. But like, you know, what, you know, Luke, Luke War shoots two for seven, you know, Gary shoots three for eight. You know, there's a lot of guys on this team where it's just like, okay, you know,
1: like, yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 I, I, like I said, I, I don't even know if it is as much about shooting form as it is maybe there's just something mentally going on with a few of the guys that have been on the roster the last couple seasons. I have to believe it's a mixture of both uh, because there's no way that if, you know, shooting woes continue over and over and over again, like you've seen, that they're not going to like kind of be on top of that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's just certain cases where you see some players, they just can't get it out of their head and they just, you know what I mean? And the interesting thing is, is the the, the few times that I have seen Oregon shoot well is when they've jumped out to a a comfortable lead and they see those shots falling. Then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, no, I'm just going to let it fly and it's going to go in. And so it really just needs to be more about like, I think like not only just coaching the shooting, but just getting that confidence back in, in some of these guys that it's like, take that shot and just know that like, you know, you're a good shooter and that's going in instead. Of, and like, you just would see a lot of hesitancy. You would even see it towards, you know, the end of close games where even if guys had an open look, there was kind of hesitancy to shoot it because of just, you know, like lack of trust in their own shot. And so I, I really do think it's like a combo of the two at this point, or at least I have to believe so.
0: Well, you know, now the season is over, uh, you know, we can sort of look a little bit ahead. You wrote a, a piece last week about, you know, looking ahead a bit to the 23, 24 team. Um, you know, we know that there's a lot of exciting players coming in. Um, yes. uh, we know there's a number of, uh, you know, players who are pretty promising, you know, Cousinard said that he's coming back, although we didn't see him in the NIT. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, what did you think about some of these guys who were coming back, um, who, you know, for, uh, that we did get to see in the NIT, maybe featured, you know, more than we got to see them during the regular season? Yes. Who we know we're coming back. Wh- what did you think about, uh, you know, their performance in these last couple of games and what it means for twenty three, twenty four?
1: Well, I'm, I mean, obviously. It- at least in the first couple games of the NIT, one of the most encouraging things I saw was the uh, maturation and the play of Biddle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that, um, you know, Dante is is, is gone now, and, and deservedly so. He's, he's worked his way into an NBA-ready talent now, and it's time for him to, you know, go feed his family. Um, that being said, you know, you have two... Uh, former five-star, seven-foot recruits that are still down there in the paint. And I was like, okay, you know that, that Dante's not going to be there anymore, so somebody has to show you something. You know what I mean? Like, somebody has to has to be able to, to be there and be like, look, you know, you got you got a big that can get it done. And at least for the first couple games, I was very pleased to see Biddle doing that. And um, it kind of gives me hope, too, that Ware could, could follow suit, Because last season, and I know it had a lot to do with Oregon's depth, you know, because he was sitting behind Kepnong and and Dante Mm -hmm. and, you know, but uh, you you really didn't see Biddle do much of anything. And then, you know, for him finally getting kind of his chance to shine this season, you saw him start to make a difference. And so I'm thinking, you know, that with the departure of Dante and, uh, you know, barring Biddle playing all 40 minutes or whatnot, I think that you'll see kal Ware get those minutes, you know, based off need alone. And so that will be his chance to be like, okay, you know, you are a five-star talent. You know, you, you have that on paper. Let's see it transfer to the floor. So I think, at least from what I saw, one of the most encouraging bits was the the, the play inside. Now, as far as who else is coming back... With Cousinard, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just like you, you don't know which Cousinard is going to show up. And so with him, I, I'm hoping very much so that we don't see another Will Richardson situation where it's just kind of like totally hot, totally cold, totally, you know, back and forth, back and forth. We'll see. I, I don't think that, that quite as much pressure might might be on him with uh, Shellstad incoming. Uh, because you you know then you have this you know freshman phenom floor general or at least he looks like he should be kind of like running the show which could you know free Cousinard up to be more of like a hybrid guard and honestly I think Richardson often played better when he had Peyton Pritchard there because he knew Pritchard was the floor general the point guard and and Richardson could play kind of like an off guard and so that's encouraging to see. Uh finally, I'm I'm glad that uh Luke War was able to get some minutes and 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 start to get some reps because that was the big question mark that I noted in my article was uh, kind of like the forward position, because you know, the the only the only real consistency you'd seen the last couple of years was from Guerrier, uh who even didn't quite, you know, he didn't play as well this year as he did the year before. And then obviously, you know, you have two incoming five-star blue chippers that are forwards, but it's still an uncertain because as you've seen with Biddle, as you've seen with Ware, you never quite know how that five-star talent is going to transfer once they get to the D1 level. So seeing Luke War be able to get some more minutes, be able to like get a little more comfortable out there, gives me a little better feeling of relief um, at the forward position, which as I noted in the article was the biggest question mark.
0: Alright, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk some women's hoops. Uh, so the ladies, uh, roll on, uh, they, uh, took on, uh, uh, North Dakota state in their first game, uh, wound up just running them off the floor. Um, it wasn't really, uh, uh close after the second quarter, um, just completely shut them down. Um, uh, uh, it was a little tight in the first quarter, uh, uh, but then, uh, you know, second quarter limited the bison to only seven points and, and then it just, uh, you know, wasn't a game after that. Um, uh, and you know pretty stellar defensive performance in, in the first game and and uh and just like the but you know the really thing that was uh you know amazing was the offensive explosion including Tahina Pau, you know uh sinking um all three all six of her, her first six uh three-point shots uh you know um uh uh you know just you know pretty astonishing um uh uh, uh offensive performance from somebody who like has been you know kind of You know, as somebody who I think everybody was sort of expecting to be a leader to this team has sort of had a shaky regular season, has just been, you know, excellent in the postseason. Um, You know, uh, I was, you know, really encouraging out of her.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, (laughs) if if anybody who's been listening to these podcasts or read my articles regarding women's hoops has uh, has undoubtedly figured out by now. I was always very high on the, on the Tahina Pow Pow train. I really thought that, you know, I was like, this girl has kind of like the it factor that we didn't see from the rest of that historic 2020 class. And it would always just kind of frustrate me because I was like, oh, I'm, I mean, I know she can, you know, she has the skill there to really take over. She has this, you know, the the ability to really just kind of become that that go-to player on the floor. And luckily, like you said, in the in the last couple uh, WNIT games, we've really seen that out of her, and and she just looks to be more in attack mode. And when you're, you know, when you're a player, especially uh, as a ball handler, um, mm-hmm. if if anybody who's ever played any basketball could tell you, and I can certainly tell you, um, as a you know, as a primarily a defensive guard in in high school, people people with ball handling skills. Uh, elite ball handling skills are just a a matchup nightmare they are so frustrating uh, because the biggest thing they can do with those ball handling skills often is not only to set up other players but to create space for themselves and so you know i think tahina just creating space for herself using her ball handling skills has has really been a key to why she's been able to open it up the last couple games, and I'm 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 really glad that she's starting to figure that out because I've always thought it was something that I even saw flashes of when she was a freshman. I was like, you know, she can create space for herself, and um, as a you know as a point guard, that's always something good to realize because you're you know you're supposed to be the floor general, you're supposed to be running the show. That's your primary job, uh, but you know what I mean. Like if if you're able to do that along with creating space for yourself, creating shots for yourself. That's what, what turns you into a truly deadly player.
0: The other thing that was really great to see, um, is that, you know, with one exception, Kennedy Basham, um, who looks like she's going to miss the um, entire WNIT, um, with an injury. Um, and I know that's a player that, uh, another, one of, uh, the great ATQ writers, uh, Badwater is really excited about. Um, so that's unfortunate, but, you know, literally every other one of the, 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 uh, players on the team is finally healthy. Um, and, and everybody, you know, got to play, um, Mm -hmm. in the, in these games got serious minutes. Um, you know, I, I, I believe everybody got at least 17 minutes, um, at a minimum, um, against North Dakota state. Um, and, uh, um, you know, so, you know, that was, you know, really nice to see. And, And, and like, and I think everybody at some point or another during the year was bothered by some kind of injury. Um, and a number of players, I think, were sort of playing through low-level injuries. I know that Coach Graves has talked about, like, Tahina Pau was playing through injuries for a good chunk of that, like, losing streak that they were going through in the regular season. And, like, I, you know, it's difficult because, like, the team, it's been, you know, it's a, the, the roster is a little smaller um, than it otherwise would be. Um, and, you know, injuries sort of limited them. And I think there were just sort of points where, like, people were. I think they were going through points where people were playing through injuries and it was probably affecting the way that they were playing. We were like, why can't this team make a bucket? And it's probably a part of that was like they were playing through a lot of pain. Um, yeah. and, and like, I don't know, maybe the criticism we were leveling at them was somewhat unfair. Um, or I, I don't know if unfair is the right word, but like we we don't have perfect information. Um, yeah. Um, on the other hand, maybe it was perfectly fair and they should, you know, be better shooting, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the point being like, it sure looked like they could make a bucket against North Dakota state and it sure looked like they were healthy. You know, they were shooting 56% from the floor, which is great. Um, and it sure looked like they had like decided athletic advantages, you know, over the bison, um, and, uh, you know, it was really great to see, you know, Grace Van Sleuten, who, who looks like she's fully healthy. Um yes. looks like Chance Gray, who's f- fully healthy, you know. Um, uh, you know, and and just, you know, everybody had a great game. Uh, and, uh, and just ran them off the floor. And so then the next game they played a day or two ago was against Rice. Um, Rice is a damn good team. Like, uh, they won the WNIT, I think, two years ago. Um, and they really put up a good fight in the first half. Um, like it was really in a, a well-matched game, um, in which like it, it was evident why rice is a good team that has won. I think they only lost like six games this year. I think Oregon was their seventh loss. Um, and, uh, um, I'm not sure how they didn't make the NCAA tournament I, uh, anyway, the, um, Uh, uh, they, uh, um, they really moved the ball. Well, they really played well as a team. Uh, like the, you know, they sort of, you know, they understood the way that they, you know, they play basketball well. Um, and then sort of Oregon figured them out towards the end of the second, uh, quarter. Um, Oregon just had them totally figured out and they, uh, um, Oregon really cranked up the tempo. And uh, and and forced them to play a form of basketball that rice was just completely incapable of playing um, at a pace that they were incapable of keeping up with and just like, yeah the the athletic advantage was just you know rice just couldn't do anything about and there was another you know this time the terrible quarter year for the opponent came in the third quarter where rice only scored nine points and that was it the game was over um you know you can't have a nine to 23 quarter and win a basketball game uh and that's what happened um uh you know um rice wound up shooting 27% from the floor, which like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Owls. You, you ain't going to win that game. Um, Oregon wound up actually having a, a subpar offensive night, only 46%. But like, yeah, like I said, if your opponent's only shooting 27%, then they're going to win. Um, uh, and, um, and, uh, 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 but again, like you know, it, it was great to see a lot of players look really healthy. Um, you know, uh, India Rogers I think had a really good game uh, against Rice, um, and uh, Grace Van Sluten had the highlight I think of the entire tournament, where she just straight up ripped the ball away yeah. <laughs> from one of the Rice well, players, and then turned around and put the bucket in.
1: I Was like it was great. I, I, I think having Van Sluten back and healthy was a A big big difference maker right now yeah definitely Uh, because like i said it's you know you 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 always want to have kind of that one two punch of like guard play and bigs play and so uh yeah having having her back in there really i think kind of like levels the ducks out and that's why you saw a much more consistent performance from them offensively two games in a row
0: the thing that i sort of remain well okay so two comments about two different players Um, I like that Filipina chase shooting the ball, you know, sort of like, this has been a comment all season long for me has been like, she's such an awesome, uh, you know, an intimidating force, you know, in the middle. And and it was funny because rice, um, unlike a a whole bunch of, uh, PAC 12 basketball teams who would, you know, start to drive to the basket, see that Philly was there and then like check out of it be like oh wait no Uh, I can't do this like Rice would go right at her and then she you know and then she'd block it so she gets eight blocks in this game which was just like funny as hell to watch (laughs) it's just like Rice what are you doing (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) I don't don't know I don't know quite what they were thinking in that sense Uh, might want to back off a little after like you know five or six of those just get sent back so, right. against sh- so against North
0: Dakota, so against North Dakota state, she, sh- she shoots the ball five times and makes four of them gets nine points. Good for her, uh, against, um, against rice. She also gets nine points, but it's on three for 10 shooting. Um, uh, you know, she gets, you know, three out of four free throws. Uh, like I like her getting fouled and going to the free throw line and making most of her free throws that that's happy and i like you know I, I like getting fouled not because i like seeing people get fouled but because you know I don't like people being punched or whatever. I, I mean that like fouls are good from a game theory perspective, uh, you know, because it means that you're forcing your opponent into foul trouble. Is all I mean by that. Um, and driving to the rim means higher percentage shots. Um, uh, is what I mean. Um, but like I don't like her missing shots. Like there's, you know, like Philly. Okay, we've been doing this for a year. Like make your shots. Uh, like thirty percent shooting when you are like a foot away from the rim. Like come on, <laughs> you know, put those in um and then the other thing is like tay hansen is over four from the floor like i don't understand like i, I don't like i i tay Hansen's like w- there's no it's hard to justify tay hansen getting any uh floor time when her productivity is this low um yeah like, I, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry to sort of like name and shame, but like, like her just productivity is terrible. Like, uh, uh, I don't know, man, like it's, it's, it's just really surprising. Um, like, and it's not like she's like, I don't know. It's not like she's getting bad looks either. Like it's just not going in for her. Uh, it's, it's, it's really surprising. And, and, uh, And it's sort of like taking time away from folks who have way higher, you know, shop percentages. I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised
1: by it. I mean, uh, (laughs) seniority is always something that's, uh, you know, commands a little bit of respect and whatnot. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, bottom line is you have to, you have to produce. And, uh, if you can't produce a lot of times it's time to, you know, make way for, you know, kind of like the younger, uh, people behind you. And so, if it if it really is that you know she's taking up these minutes uh, that could be going to to other guards you know that are younger and hungrier and uh, maybe like you said able to put the ball in the hoop a little better then uh that's definitely a decision that Graves has to start looking at at this point
0: yeah it beats me i you know i i, I it's again you know sort of a question of like uh, i don't know i i don't know on a tactical level how you coach somebody to shoot the ball effectively um but like it's not like that's a one-off thing like it's you know it's all season long um and like and it's not like she's a young you know like like chance gray i think has had a problem with her three-point shot all season long um but like she's a freshman you know it's like yeah okay i'm willing to wait on that you know like um uh Oh, that was another funny, you know, like Tahina Papo, I think started out the game like three for three on three point shooting. And I was like, okay, don't jinx it. Don't, you know, don't say anything. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well, you never, yeah, you never know. Um, hot and cold. Luckily, like I said, they've, they've, they've rem- remained hot the last couple, uh, NIT games. Uh, let's hope that carries through tomorrow. Uh, that'll be the game I'm covering. So yeah,
0: a- they have, uh, San Diego coming out, uh, um, San Diego, uh, pretty comfortably handled their, uh, their last opponent. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, which I think was UC Irvine of all things. Um, um, and, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I don't think they have anybody who can, I mean, if both Grace Van Slewton and Filipina Che are healthy at the same time, like, they they have to go pretty deep into the tournament before they can find before they encounter an opponent that's capable of of matching up with them like basically i guess the reason why i started out talking about the women's basketball teams like health level is that like oregon oregon oregon's talent level and in particular their size is such that they shouldn't be an an it team you know, yeah. like they're sort of slumming it in the nit. Oh, Well,
1: they yeah, they underperformed all year, whether it be due to injuries or just like bad play. But they they underperformed. They're yeah. talent wise, they are an absolute NCAA tournament team.
0: And if like they're done with being injured, with the you know sorry kennedy you know uh, like the sacrificial lamb like the all of the injuries are on kennedy basham and and she's you know sacrificed that everybody else could be healthy i guess i'm sorry um but if like if they're if they're done with the underperformance and done being hurt and maybe those are connected questions um that like no man they they, they might just win this whole thing, you know, like it's it, like, I, you know, just looking at the WNIT bracket, like I, I well, don't,
1: I was, I was excited uh, honestly about both men's and women's teams chances in the NITs because I thought both had a legitimate chance to actually win it. And um, unfortunately, like I said, just due to shooting, it didn't work out for the men, but I, I think the women still have just as good a chance as anybody. And um, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's eight teams left. Here's who they are. San Diego, who Oregon plays on the other side of the bracket. It's Rhode Island, Harvard, Syracuse, Columbia, uh, back on this side of the bracket. It's, uh, Kansas state and Washington. Um, yeah, (laughs) you know, and, and if, you know, if Oregon makes it past San Diego and they make it past, you know, the the next game which is you know would be the winner of Kansas State and Washington like I have a really hard time seeing them not you know I, I really have a hard time seeing them have trouble with Rhode Island versus Harvard's winner uh I, yeah. I don't know much about Syracuse um I, I guess but like you know Oregon's probably the odds on favor if they're done being injured and with the the issues that got them into the NIT I have a hard time seeing them not being the odds on favor to win this thing. Um, yeah. but like, I don't know me. I should probably be knocking on every piece of wood within my orbit. Having. <laughs> that.
1: Well, I mean, it also is, uh, uh what is it? I think the, the, the 20th or, or twenty twenty-one 21 year anniversary of the last time they won the women's NIT. So mm, I like that. <laughs> that would, that would, that would be kind of poetic, I guess. <laughs>
0: Uh, All right. Let's take a break. Uh, We come back. We'll uh, talk about uh, Oregon's uh, uh, new offensive line uh, transfer and the football team. All right. Well, my uh, series uh, on Oregon's uh, football transfers rolls on. Uh, They've actually taken two transfers. Uh, uh, One of them, uh, Johnny Cornelius from Rhode Island, I'm not going to unfortunately be writing about simply because I can't find any film on him. Uh, (laughs) It's an unfortunate fact about FCS uh, guys. There's one game that I can find. It's they played Pitt last year, um, but like you can't, I can't write a film study article based on one game because it's like it's just not.
1: Oh, yeah, cause, uh, nobody knew you know, what chip what, what what chip kelly was really capable of for that same reason
0: <laughs> it's it's three hours out of his life like who know, yeah. you know, maybe his dog died that day or maybe you know that maybe the defensive end across from him remind looks like just like a you know somebody who bullied him when he was in elementary school and so he was you know playing out of his mind you know you just you know like one game's just not enough um on the other hand, the other guy, uh the guy that I did write about this morning, Junior Ongalao, um was the uh, a starting guard for Texas um for 3 years and Texas film is readily available um uh in fact widely discussed in, in you know by a quite obsessive fan base. Um oh, yes. So uh, uh, that was uh, easily e- easy to, to acquire. Um uh, Angelou, uh, started, uh, be, began as a starter as a redshirt freshman in 2019. Um, and was a starter for every, every single game, um, uh, for three seasons. And then he got injured, um, and missed 2022, um, and then hit the transfer portal. Uh, so I, um, I, I took a look at all of his film, but I, I only charted, uh, the 2021 film cause it was the most recent one. And, in one season is, is certainly enough to, to, to to get you know adequate data although it was weird because it was Steve Sarkeesian's first season um at Texas and uh and, and like his man it was weird cuz like the blocking schemes that he wanted to use were like really like he 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 never i mean i'm not joking about this he never called you know, inside zone with split zone, like never, it wasn't part of his playbook. Like, and that's like an Oregon bread and butter play. Um, like there was almost no wide zone. There were virtually no RPOs, um, or at least like, uh, you know, very few of the sort of recognizable, you know, staples throughout, you know, college football. Um, there's a bunch of power, but it's not like, you know, power that you would recognize from the last, from the last 50 years of college football, like, mm-hmm. you know, with Stanford or Wisconsin or whatever would run. It's like the funky stuff that like Lincoln Riley, you know, sort of invented. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's like, it's, you know, the, the, the way that I put it in my article and I found a lot of like Texas commentators sort of, you know, saying this as well. It was like, it's like Sarkeesian trying to demonstrate cleverness. You know, rather than doing stuff to move the ball, like priority one uh, should be his
1: forte in the Pac-12 at least. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, priority one should be move the ball and, you know, win the game, you know, and and instead it seemed like Sarkeesian's priority number one was like demonstrate how clever he is. Um, It was like, look, I'm my own man. You know, I'm not under your shadow anymore. You know, Nick. Um, and, uh, and so it was like, and it's really frustrating as a film reviewer trying to evaluate an offensive lineman, because like in in order for me to do my job to evaluate, um, how well on was doing within the scheme, I have to first figure out what the heck the scheme is, right? Like I have to figure (laughs) out what assignment he is being asked to do before I can grade him on how well he did that assignment, which like. 90% of the time when I'm doing that, because like I instantly understand what the play is because I've seen it 10,000 times, you know, like that's easy to do. But this time it was like, okay, I've got to get inside the mind of Steve Sarsakizian to like figure out what this play is supposed to be. Um, Which of course didn't work half the time. There's a reason why they went five and seven. Um (laughs) So like, oh, and then I'm uh, you telling,
1: you're telling me Steve Sarkeesian can't leave. can't leave a D one <laughs> team to sustain success. No yeah, way. I know, yeah. What a
0: shock. <laughs> and then the other thing is like, oh, they definitely should have been worse than five and seven, but they had like a couple of just spectacular talents. Um, Xavier Worthy and Bijan Robinson who like would totally improvise on plays. Like the line would go and block one way. And then Bijan Robinson would be like, no, I don't want to do that. And he'd go and literally run totally the opposite way and would go run 50 yards. And it's like st- would be on the sideline with this weird little smile on his face, which like I, I don't want to like dump on him too much, but like which I-, I think the smile sort of acknowledged, like I didn't call that play, but like I guess I'll take it, you know? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Better to be so lucky like, than good, I guess. Yeah,
0: right. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so like that that makes it especially difficult to evaluate a lineman, you know? It's like because there's a bunch of plays where it's like you know he, it's like wow Unglau kind of blew it on that play but it was a, a it was a great play and then there's other game. plays where it's like wow yeah. Unglau did a fantastic job but I got you know, blown up, you know, yeah. but it's like, it's not his fault. It's totally not his fault. Like I've got all <laughs> my, I've got so many, play- in fact, I, I mentioned in my article that I had like something, I had like 12 more video clips to include that were entirely like, here's a play where Angola was doing a great job, but, but it was, a, but the play failed because it's a screwy play call. You know, let yeah. me tell reader, let me tell you all about how screwy this offense was. And then I just <laughs> cut all all of them because it was like this isn't doing anybody any good this is just me complaining which like i yeah. guess i snuck it through the back door by talking better it on this podcast um, but, <laughs> but anyway well i
1: mean if, it, if it's true it's true and you know from everything that you showed that yeah there was uh yeah quite a good amount of time when Aguilar was doing his job well and uh, the, the result wasn't exactly uh, yeah was,
0: yeah I know there's a bunch of clips where it happens anywhere where it's like yeah look at this amazing block and then the pass is dropped or look at this amazing you know he's totally opening up this huge hole and then the, the quarterback just he biffs the handoff to the running back and it's almost a safety yeah. and it's like yeah man uh, so anyway um, yeah there's a bunch of that like it was a frustrating project um, but I think that Aguilar is pretty good like he He's definitely he's one of the best pass blocking guards um, I've seen in a really long
1: time. Yeah, um, which is then, great when you have one of the most efficient passers in the entire country. So yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I have absolutely no doubts. And even like for all the weirdness of the scheme that I've just spent some time um, bitching and moaning about like past blocking is past blocking is past blocking. Like, I don't worry about that sort of translating at all. And in fact, if anything, you know, one of the things I, I try, I sort of went out of my way to, to highlight simply because Anglo goes out of his way. Um, is that like, he really, um, Like he's what a team player. Like it's very obvious when he uh, unless he is like 100% absorbed in his block because the DT or whomever that he has to block is like, oh, man, I really have to concentrate on you. You're really giving me all that I can handle Uh, unless he's 100% absorbed in that guy. His head is on a swivel looking for something else to do. And like, oh man, I had so many plays. I could have put three more videos in my article of him rescuing his other crappy offensive linemen um, from themselves. Uh, (laughs) You know, I, I, I put in one video compilation, but I could have put in like four more. Um, uh, you know, cause the, here's the other thing. He was, uh, recruited and mostly developed by an offensive line coach named Herb Hand, who's, look, he, I, I I he's terrible. Like he's just, he's like, he's coached at Penn state and at Auburn and now at Texas. And I think he's at UCF now. So he's back with Gus Malzahn again. I don't know why Gus Malzahn went back to that. Well, like he must've learned his <laughs> lesson. Like the reason why, uh, like I can, I can say this. I studied Auburn. I, like bizarrely. I've had to study Auburn a whole bunch of different times. Uh, uh, I keep, it's like a bad penny. I keep wind up studying Auburn film. Um, uh, Gus Malzahn must know that he got fired from Auburn because his offensive line kept underperforming, and his a, and a primary reason for that is Herb Hand. Like I don't know how he keeps getting work. Um, and he like Texas offensive line is really poorly developed. I think that Angelao sort of shown through sh- through that. Like his his he's a he was a four star a mid to a, a, a high four star. Um, I think he has a ton of natural talent, and yeah. like. And, and and that fact sort of saves him from Herb Hand's lousy development because Herb Hand's lousy development definitely sort of sabotaged the rest of the line, um, and um, and then what happens is in 2021, uh, well, well, basically at the end of 2020, everybody gets fired, right, including Herb Hand, and then S- Sarkeesian gets brought on, and Sarkeesian, his. He hires a new guy, uh, Kyle flood um, who had gotten fired from Rutgers. Um, Kyle flood, I think is actually a pretty good offensive line coach and, Kyle flood, you know, is retained in 2022. I didn't study the 2022 film. Cause why would high angle? wasn't playing in 2022, yeah. but all the Texas media that I've read has told me that like, Hey, the line's really turning around in 2022, which like, yeah, that makes sense. An offensive line coach who's good at his job usually takes like a year, you know, in order to like reverse the badness of his predecessor, like that, you know, that makes sense. So like, Anyway, the, I think that, I think that Angelo probably had some development hiccups from hand, just not being a good coach. I think that he, his, you know, light was uh, hit under a bushel by Sarkeesian's, you know, goofy scheme. And then on top of that, his his Sarkeesian's blocking scheme, just especially against the run is just not, I think what Oregon is going to be using at all. And so like in between all those things. Uh, like his just his run blocking grade is pretty average for on my tally sheet his pass blocking grade is is excellent I don't worry about his pass blocking stuff at all but his run blocking grade is not great and it doesn't look like the scheme that I expect him to have to use at Oregon and I sort of worry a little bit about his development because of the hand stuff and you know he's now going to have three different offensive line coaches um, and it's not like elite Terry is this old veteran, although we will have Mike Cavanaugh who, uh, as the analyst, um, who is an old veteran. Um, so like all of these are sort of like reasons for concern. And then on top of all of these things, I'm really skeptical at of offensive line transfers. I've been yeah. studying like the entire PAC 12, um, for a long time. Um, and you know, I, I keep a whole database of the entire PAC 12, um, and I study, you know, and I, you know, the, I, I'm about to start them, you know, in a couple of weeks here when, when spring games get started, I'm going to start doing, you know, when, when I'm done with the transfer project, the next series is going to be my PAC 12 summer previews. Um, summer's yeah. right around the corner, everybody. Um, well, I feel
1: like we just, dis- we discussed that in one of our previous, uh, podcasts, even about how kind yeah. of like, you know, the, the transfer portal can be so useful with a lot of different positions and particularly skill players, but the offensive line and we were noting how like Oregon is so good and solid along the offensive line because they don't, you know, they don't tend to dip into the transfer portal much for that. These are all homegrown kids that build that cohesiveness.
0: Yeah. And it's like, man, it's really going to be interesting to see how it goes with Anglao and Cornelius um, because there's two different, I mean, I guess there's two different theories for why this would be, the, the first theory is that like it just never works out for offensive line transfers. It just, you know, it just never, ever, ever, ever works out because you have to develop them organically. You have to get them as freshmen and then, you know, they have to grow up together and you just can't graft them in like it just doesn't work that way, um, in which case like Angola and Cornelius aren't going to work out. It doesn't matter how good they are. It just they're not going to work out if that theory is true. And like, I hope it's not, but like it may be um like a lot of the data seems to indicate that that theory may be true the other theory is that um bad offensive line the reason why you get bad offensive line performance is because you have bad offensive line culture and if you have bad offensive line culture then in inserting a new offensive lineman as a transfer into it like of course, that's not going to fix it. Like he's just going to fall into the same trap as all the other guys, you know, like sort of like if you have um, like if you have a flashlight that's got it that needs five batteries um, and like all five of them are like kind of dead batteries. Um, and you take one out and you grab another battery from the drawer and stick it in there, like the flashlight's still not going to work, you know, because it's like the batteries are all dead, you know, like it doesn't even if that was a new great battery, like it doesn't matter, you know, Um so, but if, but if that theory, you know, am I, am I making sense? You know, that like, oh, if yeah. you're,
1: no, I, I see what you're saying.
0: And so like, but if that theory is true, that would sort of explain why all these Pac-12 teams that have lousy Pac-12 offensive lines and therefore have lousy and, and have them because they have lousy, you know, OL unit cultures and lousy OL coaches, and then they get transfers who may or may not be good guys you know good 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 players and 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 have you know some raw talent and be some clay that you could work with but like you stick them into the that culture and it's like they don't work you know well of course they didn't because you stuck them into a bad culture and like they didn't have any it's like you stuck a seed into bad soil and it didn't grow boy i'm mixing metaphors here sorry um anyway the the uh uh you know But if you, you take Oregon where I think they have a pretty good offensive line culture, right. And they have like good functioning offensive linemen around them. And you take, you know, a talented guy and you stick him in that. And it's like, maybe he'll just flourish right away. You know, like. Just like if you have four good batteries and one bad battery, and then you take the bad battery out and you stick in a a new functioning battery and like, Hey, your flashlight works like, and you shouldn't be surprised by that. Like maybe that uh, will be the case. Like, I don't know, man, I guess we'll find out like, this is kind of going to be a new situation for me where you have like, I think a pretty functional offensive line culture and sticking into it guys who look like they're real, like, I don't know much about Cornelius, but like he won a bunch of awards and like Oregon wouldn't have got this guy if he wasn't like, didn't look super duper promising. And then I do know a a bunch about Anglao. Like I know a ton about him, like more than anybody should. Uh, and and like he looks super duper duper promising um yeah and and if you know like in Oregon I I think has a pretty healthy culture so if anybody can make this guy work, if anybody can make an offensive line transfer work it ought to be Oregon yeah so I guess we'll just see um
1: but yeah we'll find out spring ball should help give us a little better insight on him
0: the other thing is that he's been sidelined the last couple of practices but they're taking a break you know, um, so maybe they're just sort of holding them out a little bit and, and, you know, anyway, the, the spring game is the April 29th. So we'll get to see, I you know, I would project at this point that the guards, um, it's going to be, I, I don't know who's going to be on the left, but who's going to be on the right, but like a, just, uh, just spitballing, I, I would think Marcus Harper, um, and then uh uh, uh Jackson Powers Johnson as the center and then Ongalau as the other guard and then I think Steven Jones will be the rotational guy. Um sounds about right. And then you know because in terms of like my, the way that I've graded these guys for the most recent season that they played like that would be a very good. That would be a very good um interior offensive line. That, I mean that would yeah that would that would straight up be the best interior offensive line in the Pac-12 and and second place would be pretty far away um yeah for sure so like even if the things that I worry about for Angla all come true well uh, other than health like assuming that he's healthy um but the other stuff that I worry about, like the scheme stuff with Sarkeesian and, and not really running stuff that's similar to what Oregon runs and the gelling stuff that I mentioned in the offensive line transfer skepticism that I have, like even if all of those skeptic reasons that I have to worry about sort of come true and he doesn't perform at the like maximum of his potential, like to, the, at his floor, what I've seen is he's a four star with three years of starting experience at a power five level and with tons of natural aptitude and strength i mean just watch those videos i i mean i literally put multiple clips of him clearing out future nfl players like just Mm -hmm. physically pushing them five yards back from the line yeah
1: no he's he's an intimidating specimen as as far as that standpoint for sure yeah so so like if nothing else you know you're getting that
0: yeah. So like, I really, um, in terms of like establishing his floor, zero concerns. I mean, other than his health, but like, I'm always concerned about everybody's health. That sort of goes without saying, uh, um, it's his ceiling. I, I like, I would like, I, I, I was expecting before I was expecting to know more about his ceiling when I completed this project. And then I don't. And the reason is Steve Sarkeesian. Um, <laughs> and so that's why I'm mad at him. And I started out talking about how how mad I am at his at scheme his schemes because I put in all this effort to understand uh, Anglau And then I wound up not understanding him as well as I wanted to. Because Damn you, Steve Sarkeesian. All right. I think that's going to do it for us this week. I will wrap it up there. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam?
1: Uh, let's go, ladies. Bring this, bring this NIT home. I think I think they got this as long as they just play up to their ability. Uh,
0: in addition, Diamond Ducks are in action in Eugene. Uh, baseball's uh, got four games against Northwestern State uh, from Louisiana, and softball's taking on UCLA. Uh, uh, should be pretty good weather. Uh, but even if it's not... It never rains on this podcast.